Hello Mountain. Oops, is this on? Did you get me? Yeah, let's try that again. Wait. Hello Mountain. All right, it's good to see everybody. It's a good weekend to be here. It's so exciting just to say hello and welcome to our Edgewood campus for the third week in a row. Love you guys. Things are going great over there. If you sign up for Ben's Notes, we have a nice little video that kind of shows what's going on there. Just go to the website, sign up for that. You can, you can see what's happening there. You know, it's just we're a church that really is most of the time we don't get to be together. We get to, we're just spread out on mission. You know, we're in our neighborhoods, we're at work, we're doing what God's called us to do, and we gather in homes periodically, and then on the weekends, now three locations, Bel Air, Mountain Road, and now Edgewood, but one mission. It's just awesome. It's really fun to see it happening. So way to go. It's epic. It's epic. If, uh, I know a lot of folk are new, so just welcome. You, you are coming into this great family uh, called Mountain at a, at a really great time. A lot of us are, are having an opportunity, and you can too, to kind of check something off our bucket list, and that is to, to read through the whole Bible, uh, which a lot of us have wanted to do, and find how all those pieces that we've heard about really fit together. We're using this book called The Story, which is a collection of the classic stories of the Bible woven together in a novel-like form, so it reads like a story, because it is a story, God's story. And uh, I know there's a temptation to kind of feel like, well, didn't you already start that? You know, the bus has already left the station. I, I think I might have missed it. It's not too late. If you're brand new here, just jump in. If you want to go catch up, you could probably read the first five chapters in what? I don't know, an hour? I don't know. Is it about right? Okay, yeah. Like you know, you didn't read it. Did you read it? <laughs> All right. Or you can get the audio thing, or just go back, listen to the messages, whatever, or just jump in and we'll catch you up. But don't, don't be discouraged. We're, we're, we're just at the beginning of this thing. Here's what, we, here's what we're seeing. There's so many great stories, and I just hate to have you miss out. Um, if, if you'll open this book and open your heart and your mind at the same time, good things are going to happen. And we'll be, I think all of us, what we're seeing is is just how our story can find its purpose, its meaning, and its place in God's larger story. It's helping us take the blank pages of the future of our lives and turn them over to God and say, here, you make something epic of my life. Make my life a story that only you could tell. Don't make it boring or plain. Make it something really special. And that, that's what we're seeing happen in so many great stories. We're going to be telling those in a couple of weeks. So... This weekend, how many of you read chapter 5? Show of hands. Okay, good. How many of you crammed in the parking lot to get it finished before you came in? Okay, great. You know, you're just going to get so much more out of it if you can read as we, as we get in. Okay, so um, the first three chapters of the story, uh, we kind of had a little subtitle for those. We call it Once Upon a Time, and that was because it's the beginning, and it started with creation, how God made everything, and it was all good, and then everything got all broken or messed up, whatever, and, and then God's going to bring it all back together again, and that's the rest of the story, is God kind of trying to relentlessly pursue us to bring us back into relationship with himself and making promises that he's following through on, and, that, and that's his upper story. Remember the upper story, and then there's always stuff going on in lower story. That's like stuff we see, stuff in our lives, and, and, and the lower story scriptures are, are about real people. You know, um, Abraham, and, and, and as God makes his promise to him, and, and uh, Isaac and Jacob and Joseph we saw, and the upper and lower story going on there about how there's always more going on in God's upper story than what we see in our lower story. But God is faithful and always working out his purposes and his story. And then they get stuck in Egypt. 
some slaves that they become. God sends a deliverer, Moses. Did you see that, um, did you see that ancient inscription they found on a cave in Egypt? I think we have a picture of it here. It's a little ancient cartoon. Can you see that? I don't know. I, I didn't know if you could see it. I thought it was a lot funnier than your acting. <laughs> Moses, little, little guy. I don't think he started quite that way, but he, God chooses this unlikely hero because they had this earthly dilemma that begged for a heavenly solution. And then we saw last week uh, God's mighty hand and him revealing himself as the great I am the one who will be with you and refuting with ten plagues ten of those Egyptian gods in a nose-to-nose -nose confrontation. And then the death plague, the death angel moving through, the Israelites being told that if they had the blood of the lamb marked on the doorposts of their homes, death would pass over. And it did, and it's a great reminder of how the whole Old Testament story is always giving us sneak peeks to the New Testament where Jesus is revealed and a reminder to us that we need the same blood of the Lamb on the doorposts of our hearts for us to have death pass over us. And now we're in Act 2, chapters 4 to 7. We're calling it Exit Strategy because now that the children of Israel have exited Egypt where God parted the Red Sea and they went through on dry ground, we call that the Exodus because now that they've exited, they're going to be entering a whole new era. So we're picking up the story about three months after they go through and they're in the beginning of the wilderness after last week and they come in this desert place up to this place called Sinai, all right? And God essentially is saying, as you want to open your Bibles to, to Exodus chapter 19, which is where we're, we're beginning there, God is saying, you know, uh, you know, people, it's time for us to take our relationship to the next level. I hope you can hear God saying that not only to them but to you. It's time to define the relationship. I got a college kid. I got two high schoolers. Uh, we're learning about DTR in our home. Define the relationship. That's what God's saying here. God's saying, I'm going to make good on my promise to Abraham. That, that covenant that God promised, where he's going to make them a people, a tribe, a family, a nation, and bless them. Why? So they could be a blessing to the whole world, right? That's the plan. God wants to reverse all the brokenness and bring it together. That's the plot of the story. God says, it's time for you to understand more about how I am. We're going to have to have some house rules. I want to come and be with you. I want you to be with me. He's not working through individuals now, but through a whole nation. This is a change in the plot. But for us to be together, we're going to have to have some house rules. Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. And they're probably thinking, yeah, that was awesome. And then he says, now if you will fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the other nations, you will be my treasured possession. We'll move this whole plan forward. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's time to take our relationship to a new level. God is going to say, this weekend in chapter 5 of the story, Exodus 19 and following, I want to know if you're with me. And I want you to know I'm with you. I've already shown you that, and he's going to show it in some other ways, but I want to know 
Are you with me? He wants to hear them say, God, I'm with you. you. You brought us through the Red Sea. You did that thing to the frog god and the gnat god and all that stuff. Those dirty Egyptians, you gave them a bath. That was awesome. You buried them once and for all. We're free. Hallelujah. We ain't never going back. What do you want us to do, God? After everything you've done for us, how then shall we live? Moses heard, told them what God said about going to the next level. And the people, they're just like, Exodus 19, the people all responded together. And they said, we will do everything the Lord has said. You think about that. Moses goes back and says, God, they're in. They're on board. You ever sent a message to the Lord like that? God, I'm, everything you say, I'm, I'm good for it's called a covenant. It's called a promise. And that's exactly what God wants to hear from you and me today. Regardless of how many times the covenant has been broken in the past, there's a new opportunity here and now. He wants to hear us say, I get it, Lord. I'm in. I, I sense your faithfulness. I've been a slave to many things, and you have patiently waited on me. You've delivered me not out of Egypt, but out of sin. You've given me the blood of the Lamb to put on the doorpost of my heart. Jesus, I am with you, and I want you to be with me. We will do everything the Lord has said. Does that, does that describe how it is with you and God these days? We will do everything the Lord has said. Is that where you are? Those words true coming out of your mouth this weekend? It's such an important question. Is that how you're living? Are you really with the Lord? Ready to say, I get it, God. A lot of people today, I think, kind of like to define their spirituality on their own terms, you know. We, everybody likes to be thought of as sort of spiritual. It's sort of trendy and popular. But we like to define what that means on our own terms. We like to be able to live however we want to live and still say, I'm very close to God. We just like to say we're spiritual. I sort of, as if it's a feeling, you know, I feel so spiritual or something like that. You want to be spiritual? God says, show me you're all in, and I'll show you what that looks like. I'm going, to, I'm, going to give you, I'm going to give you some ways you'll know how to obey me. Remember our question we ask so often around here, what is Jesus saying to me? What am I going to do about it? That's the measure of spirituality. God says it's time for me to define the relationship with you. He's asking you to make ten promises. And so today we come to the Ten Commandments part of the Bible. And everyone gets very excited whenever I start talking about the Ten Commandments. It's like, only ten? I wish there were fifteen. And it's like, oh. In fact, there were actually. There were fifteen. Did you not remember? Did you ever seen the movie, the footage from Mount Sinai? Here you go. Take a look at the screen. This is how it went down, apparently. Hear me. Oh, hear me. All pay heed. The Lord, the Lord Jehovah has given unto you these 15, wait, 10, 10 commandments for all to obey. Okay, so a little irreverence, but not, not real irreverence. Just, I think that's funny. I think I'll be 100 years old, that'll still be funny. 
We live in a time of subjective morality, don't we? What is right for you is right for you, man. And whatever is right for me is right for me. Don't impose these, wor- these laws from a thousand years ago, th- several thousand years ago, how can they possibly apply to us? Wh- so whatever right for you, it's a very morally confusing time, isn't it? And our kids feel it keenly. We feel it con- con- uh, keenly because there's a kind of competition for who's in charge and who gets to say what's right and wrong for anyone. Who's in- who gets to say, is it public radio or Fox News? Who gets to decide that? Is it my philosophy professor at Towson State? Or is it talk radio? Is it, my, is it the worldview that's displayed behind my favorite television character? Is it the political pundits? Or is it Kanye West or Miley Cyrus? Who gets to say what's true and right? And in this sort of mass of confusion, the father of lies speaks just like he did to Eve in the garden on week one. Muttering things about God doesn't know what he's talking about. Listen to me. You, you know, he's just trying to ruin your fun. And there's this vacuous canyon of moral bankruptcy that, that's there. And into that canyon that, that is the same canyon of the human heart, the word of God, timeless and true, speaks. It's speaking to you now just as sure as I'm standing before you. And it's giving us words of life and wisdom and truth and protection and love. And it resonates deeply with us. It touches us deeply because it provides a path out of the moral maze, yes, but more than that, we have a sense of its truth and its sense of abiding help. A sense that it's God's Word is our way that we can know God. We don't want to just know the story. We want to know the God of the story so He can change our story. Years ago, before technology uh, changed the way that ships navigate, uh, they relied very heavily on accurate compass bearings to figure out exactly where they were going to go as they got their maps out. And every ship in the old days had two compasses. One was down in the wheelhouse down below where the helmsman would be able to look at it. And the second was way up high at the highest spot on the mast. The compass in the wheelhouse was good most of the time. But it could be thrown off because there's so much metal and other iron things down there in that part of the ship. And so when they had to have an accurate bearing, when they had to know for sure, they would send a sailor to climb that mast way up to the top where the metal couldn't affect the bearings. And it provided an accurate reading. There's a whole lot of people, maybe you're one of them, who have a kind of inner compass that's thrown off today. We're trying to figure out how to write our story, where to go and where to run, what to do. And there's a lot of crazy, inaccurate, skewed readings that you can get from a lot of places in our day. Different versions of truth and alternate spirituality based on a kind of human selfishness and so forth. And we need the same thing today that those sailors needed. The ability to climb up above it all and to see out clearly and get the right bearing. We need the same thing the children of Israel needed when they were out there having just exited about ready to enter into a new relationship with God. If that's where you are and you're ready to go to the next level, you need that timeless truth. And so God graciously provides it. To the Israelites, He provided it. And to us, He provides it as well through Christ. And they all fit together. And these aren't rules now, folks. These are God's bid for fellowship with us. A way of saying, let's live together and I'm going to have to set down some house rules so we can be together. You can't say you want to live for God and ignore these words that God sent down in stone from Sinai a long time ago.
from that smoky, earth-shaking moment on the mountain. All right, ten promises. I'm going to ask you out of reverence for God who spoke out of the mountain to stand before him this evening. We're going to put these commandments on the screen and we're going to say them together. Let them be words of conviction and truth. Let them be you seeking the mast, climbing the mast to see, to see that compass up above and let it speak with singular clarity to your life as a source of truth about what God is saying we must do. Let's read them together in unison. Are you ready? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not bow down and worship any idol. You shall not misuse my name or empty it by taking it in vain. You shall remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Let's go on to the next slide. Let's go on to the next slide. We'll read these next ones. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet. These are gracious words of life that God gives. Live by them and it will go well with you. The people who heard it the first day were not different from us in that many ways. And they, they had just had their necks saved by God. And so when they heard it, they said, that makes perfect sense to us. That makes perfect sense. This is, looks like to, to us a pathway to life. And Exodus 24, verse 3 says this, When Moses went and told the people the words and these laws, they responded with one voice, and here's what they said, Everything the Lord has said we will do. We've heard those words before. And I want to invite you to make that bold statement to God and other people around you today and add your voice to that. And let's say those words, everything the Lord has said we will do. Are you ready? This is not about your capacity. This is about your desire to serve God and trust Him. Are you ready? Just the part that starts with everything. Ready? Everything the Lord has said we will do. Okay, let's sit down and dig into this a little bit deeper this weekend. Let's dig into this. I want to help us kind of understand these Ten Commandments. I, I, I grew up hearing these things, and I've, I think there are some things that will help unlock them as words of life rather than words of kind of punishment or negativity for us. And I, I just want to suggest a couple of things that I think will really help. Was that okay? If you're taking notes, you'll be happy to know I found a way to make them all start with the letter P. Aren't you proud? Hey, P, proud. Just to keep things in perspective. Okay. <laughs> Number one, let's remember that these ten words are personal. They're personal words. Very personal. They're not just laws kind of for a whole group of people. They're not just rules for society at large. These words are laser-beamed at the individual human heart. Let me tell you how we know that primarily. Primarily, we know this from the grammar. In the Old Testament, when God gave decrees, most of the time, He gave them to the people at large. You shall do this. And He meant all y'all, plural you, right? Referring to God, you shall be my people. Love the Lord your God with all. That's all plural every time those kinds of commands appear. What's strange and gets our attention is that here, God doesn't use the plural. God uses for every one of these the singular in the grammar. Even though it still applies to everyone, He wants us to hear Him speaking to us 
personally. You. Finger in your chest will have no other gods before me, Ben. And suddenly it's different than a sort of group command. You shall be careful with how you speak of others, Mike, Jim, Sue, Al, Tamika. I didn't just save a bunch of people. I saved you. God so loved the world, yes, but God so loved you. Jesus died for you. And in light of these mercies, in light of your exodus, in light of your Passover, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then everything in you should rise up and say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. Because that's personal, see? And that's how we need to look at these words. So here's, here's God's question for you today, for me today. And it's personal. He says, I've been faithful to you. Will you be faithful to me? Will you? And I don't know about you, but those words I just said choke in my throat. Everything, anything, that's a little extreme, isn't it? Especially after we saw what he asked of Abraham. This isn't a question for the pastor, for the church, for the nation, or anyone else. He wants to know, and he's waiting for an answer, and the only answer that will work is obedience. What are you going to do about it? Hmm. Because that's the only thing that will rescue us from ourselves. I'm going to take a little aside here for a minute because, you know, Christian people sometimes, we like to shout and holler. We call ourselves the body of Christ, but we like to be the mouth most of all sometimes. And we like to shout about how the Ten Commandments are no longer being posted in public places. I liked it when they were posted there, but sometimes I wonder, how many of us even have them posted in our homes for crying out loud? We're the people of God. We don't have them posted in our homes. Why would we expect them to be down at the school or on the courthouse? The only place God really asks us to post them are on our hearts. I mean, do we even know these words? They're supposed to be personal. When I was in seminary one time, the professor asked me, name the Ten Commandments in any order. And I said, seven, three, two, one. Do, you, do we even know these words? They're directed at us personally. Not to a Supreme Court. They're not addressed to America. They're not addressed to anyone but you and to each of us, and to all of us. Earnest words from God's hearts to yours, begging him, begging you to tell him with your obedience that you are in and are with him. So take them personally. Let's hear them again and just make a brief comment on each one so we can begin to see what it would feel like if you were to get personal with God about these things. You should have no other gods before me. Your life will work best when you make me your first love. Don't bow down and worship any idol because God says, I'm a jealous God. Put me first. You shall not misuse my name. Treat me with honor and reverence and respect because God is not a God to be mocked. And in our day and age, we've got to be careful that we're not some of those people that just speak God's name flippantly like filler language or junior high girls who, who look at each other's fingernails and say, oh my God. 
That's exactly what this is talking about. When we sing a worship song without actually having it pass through our cranium into our chest and back out our mouth to God, and we're singing God's name and, his, and our pledge to Him, how many times have I done that? How about you? Don't misuse it as some shallow exclamation. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Reserve, set things aside for God in your life, even some of your time, because it's your most precious possession. The first four commandments here speak of our relationship to God. The next six speak of our relationship to one another. Love God, love people. Our mantra around here. Honor your father and mother, even in their old age, even if they don't deserve it, not because they do, but because you love me, you honor your parents. You shall not murder. I created people. It's mine to give life and take it, not yours. Are you giving life? with your words or taking it away. You shall not commit adultery when you have sexual intimacy with anyone, but the person you've pledged before me and your husband and wife, you're outside the lines, what will go well with you, God says. And Jesus says it's harder than, harder than it sounds, harder than that. You look lustfully at another. You've done the same thing. Don't steal, don't take things that aren't yours. It disrespects others, it dishonors me, God says. Don't lie. Be people of truth. There's enough lies out there. Satan's the father of lies. God's the father of light and truth. Whose, whose kid are you? Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, hallway chats, gossiping with your friends and family. Don't misrepresent the truth. Don't stretch things. Don't make yourself look better than you need to. Don't abuse others by speaking of them falsely. Don't covet. Don't spend time and energy wishing you had someone else's life. You'll wind up miserable and discontent. And you won't be them in the end anyway. Instead, be content with who you are and what you have and be grateful for my blessings. Love and live the life I gave you. Let me be your God. Take this personally. Everything the Lord has said, I will do. Take them personally. Second, these are words about protection. They're about protection. We've got to understand that or we'll look at the whole thing in a screwed up fashion. It's about protection. They're, they're like loving guardrails on a, on a sort of dangerous mountain path that we call life. You don't want your story to end as a tragedy? Pay attention to the loving, protective words here that are words of life that will lead your story to become part of His. It's, it's insight into the upper story and what God is doing. If we write our own story, we'll screw it up. So these are words of protection. They provide words of wisdom that say, don't go there, that's a waste of time. Let me save you a trip. Danger ahead. Think about someone that you know right now whose life is really royally messed up. won't take you long to think of someone. Some of you are thinking of your own name. Think of someone whose life is messed up. And what you'll find, if you trace it back, is that they ignored one or more of these commands. That might not have been the heart of the issue, but I can guarantee you if your life's messed up, one of these commands or all of them is broken. Eight of the ten are stated in the negative, thou shalt not, and that just flies all over us. Some of you, some of you don't like this. You probably tore that page right out of your, your story. It sounds so negative. But think, think about it for a minute. These are... 
these are words that create an outer limit. They create a helpful boundary for us. They actually open up our lives so we know where it's safe to live and run and have the best life possible. We don't have to live in fear. It's a boundary. It's a, it's a line in the sand, though. It's not, a, it's not a fence you can't climb out of. Christians are famous for wanting to make these sort of legalistic rules. Arr, we could all you know, do this, don't do that. And it's not that. It's a line in the sand. You're free to run right past it all you want if you think you're smarter than God. He, he doesn't, you know, it's not a hedge. You can get through it. But, but they're, they're a boundary that says beyond there, it's not safe, it's not smart. Take it from me, I'm God, I wrote the book. Most people don't get this because we're so convinced God is like a traffic cop. You know when you're driving, you know, and you see that cop behind us, like, what's he doing back there? What's he doing? You put your hands on 10 and 2, you're thinking, do I have my registration? Am I texting? What am I doing? You know, so what is he doing back there? Maybe I'll just pretend I'm going to the grocery store and turn in or something. Just to get we think of God like that, like he's just kind of running our plates all the time. He's going to find something, pull us over and write us up. No wonder we think of Ten Commandments as ten sort of bad things. But they're for our welfare. If God is love and if God can be trusted, these are protective words that bless us. Like a parent who sets guidelines for a child. Don't touch a stove. Don't, thou shalt not touch stoves. Don't, you know, stay away from that open well. I don't want you to go anywhere near there. Don't walk out in the street. Don't put your head in the jaws of a pit bull. Never. Thou shalt not. Don't give your heart away to the Minnesota Vikings. Don't cheer for them. Don't do it. It'll only end up hurting you. That's what parents who love their children would have said. Uh, I'm over it. Maybe next year. The boundary's there because the parent loves and is trying to protect the ten words of God say the same thing and do the same thing. God's not out to try to ruin your fun. Some of you don't believe me. As if God is here to say, don't do that. I know that looks fun, but I'm going to take that away too. Oh, you found something fun? Oh, I'm going to look over there. There's a rule against that too. And that's how we begin to think of God. Obedience to these words says... God, wow, you got us out of Egypt. You, I was a slave before you rescued me. You gave me Jesus, and I believe that you love me. And I know you're trying to protect me from what I would ignorantly wander into on my own. It's to help us have the best possible life. And every one of us in here can tell some pretty interesting stories about the times in our lives and the lives of people we love when we've just wandered out and done our own thing. Not just with ten commandments, but with our heart saying we don't trust God. When you write your lower story in a way that says you're smarter than God, and many of us do that, even while we come and sing, whatever you say I will do and where you lead I will go, I think sometimes it really comes down to us just saying, do I believe God? These are for protection, and you have to trust. That's the only way your story will be different. If you trust in yourself, then you're already writing your story. If you trust in God, it'll lead you someplace else. Some of us have decisions to make this very day about what you're going to do about what Jesus is saying to you right now. I pray you'll do that. Because these words are, they're protective, they're personal. And just let me tell you one more thing about them. You know what they're really all about? 
They're about priorities. <laughs> That's what the Ten Commandments ultimately come down to. They're about priorities. Jesus said the commandments should be pushed way beyond just the checklist of obedience saying, oh, I did that. I didn't murder anyone today. Didn't commit adultery today, not this afternoon anyway. No. All God has ever wanted was you, your heart, your life. To say, here's my life. I'm gonna, what brings God glory is when you weave your story into his greater story and let your lower story become part of his story. You get on mission with what God is doing to pull people back to himself and it starts with you. That's all God ever wanted. And the commandments are just about you putting God as your first priority. And the way you keep these commands is in your heart first and then in your life. It's like one day someone said to Jesus, could you tweet the Ten Commandments for me? And he said, absolutely. In 140 characters or less, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, the first four. Love people, the last six. That's the Ten Commandments. That's about priorities. And this first commandment is not first by accident. It's first out of priority because all the others build on it. It's listed first on purpose. If we don't get this one thing right, then don't even bother with all the others because they're just empty, shallow lies. Some sort of perfunctory religious do-goodism. This isn't about moral perfection, you trying to sort of pull yourself up and be good enough for God. If you keep all ten for a long time, He really likes you. No. Wrong. You ever put on your shirt, kind of in a hurry, talking to someone, you get the first button in the wrong hole, but you just keep going? You look like a dork? That's the way it is with the commandments. If we don't get the first one right, nothing else really matters. The shirt's not going to wear well. And that's how it is with your whole life. Do you remember what the first commandment is? You shall have no other gods in front of me. First place, priorities. It's about making God the main thing in your life. It's about allowing God to take the place he wants, which is first place. When you put God in first place, everything else kind of follows when we push them aside, we run into trouble. And this is what Jesus, I think, was driving at, don't you? When he said, seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things you're seeking, they'll come. They'll come. But seek first, first priority, God. Make him your number one. Parents, make him your number one. Husbands, make God your number one. Business women, make God your number one. Students, make God your number one, your one and only. And all else will go well with you. These are words of life, not a way to be religious. It's a way to live so your story can have a happy ending. You remember that old bit from the 1940s, I think, comedy team Abbott and Costello. Do you remember them? I, I actually memorized that routine one time. Who knows the name of it? Shout it off if you remember it. Who's on first? Absolutely. They go to the ballpark. Here's a picture of old Abbott Costello. Some of you remember them. They're at the ballpark, and there's a guy trying to figure out the name of the ball players, and they all have these strange names. The guy says, who's on first? And the guy says, right. No, I'm asking you, who's on first? And he says, that's right, who's on first? He says, no, no, just tell me, what's the name of the guy in first base? He goes, oh, no, what's on second? Like, who's on second? No, he's on first. Who's on first? Right. You know, it's a very confusing, silly little sketch. There's a really serious question behind it. <laughs> 
The question is, who's on first? Who's on first with you and me? It's the question Jesus wants to hear the answer to. Who's first in your life? I remember when my kids were little. Andrew's a big guy now. He's 16, taller than I am. But when he was little, he was a little bit dorky. And we used to play wiffle ball in the yard. And uh, just a normal kid, you know, run around. He loved wiffle ball. When he'd hit it, he'd just run anywhere. He didn't care where he ran. He might run to left field. He might run to the pitcher's mound. He'd just kind of run in circles. Just whatever. Hit the ball. But I played for the church softball team for about 10 years here, back when I was a young'un. When I got up to bat, most of the time I hit a deep ball, kind of bounced off the center field fence, someplace like that, usually, if I, as I remember it, anyway. <laughs> but here's, here's the question I have for you. When I, if I ever did hit the ball, where did I run? First base. Where do you run? When you're scared, where do you run? When you're stressed out and you need to escape, where do you run? When you're angry, so angry, spitting mad, you can't see straight, where do you run? It's a great question because it, it helps reveal and bring to the surface through all of our religious words and false living, it helps us find out if God is truly our first love. You ask yourself, what's my first base? Some of us are still kind of being like Andrew. We're running all over the place in every direction. We have no pattern. But eventually, when life gets important to you, when life falls apart, when something hurts, when we're scared, we run someplace. Where do you run? Who's on first? Some people run to their spouse. Some people run to a bottle. Some to a mirror. God is a jealous God. And he demands our loyalty and allegiance. There is a throne on the heart of every person, and there's seating there for only one. I want you to take a look at a video that was created for men, but it works for everyone. Let's look at it before we close. Take a look at this video about the idols of our hearts. And so when Moses was up on the mountain, getting these words chiseled for him, the people were down below tearing it up with a golden calf. The same ones who had seen God lead them out of Egypt, the same ones who'd seen the ten plagues, the same Aaron who was there when God said, these are my words, and who had mouthed back to God, everything you say we will do. Those same people are worshiping a golden calf and bowing down, breaking the commandments before they were actually ever chiseled into stone. In other words, they're just like us. But that isn't the end of the story. No, 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 no. Story's not over. It's not the end of them, it's not the end of me, it's not the end of you for having broken every single one of these commands. Praise God because of Jesus. Now, he still wants no idols. An idol is anything you look to more than you look to Jesus for acceptance, 
or for your deep joy, for your sense of significance in your life, security, all those things. By definition, that's your God. Every one of us worships. There's no atheist, really. Everyone worships something. The only choice we have is what God do we worship? What are you building your life on? And if it's not Jesus, it's an idol. And it might even be good things like family, achievement, work. But God's been faithful to you, my friend, and he's loved you with an everlasting faithful love, and he's inviting you to be faithful to him. And the way you do that is not by keeping all Ten Commandments perfectly, but by putting your trust in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. Follow me, he says, and he will lead you forward in your story, and it will be a beautiful story. Whatever it's been to this point, it can be beautiful. Praise God for Jesus. He leads us forward, the author and the finisher of our story. Let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for the invitation to love you above all else. Father, some of us need to return to our first love this weekend. And we declare that we will do that. Some of us need to stop running all over the place and just put you on first. Some of us probably need to take that which comes between us and you and let you deal with that habit, that relationship, that place or person that squeezes you out. And meet us with a great measure of your grace, we pray. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, and all of God's people said, Amen.